And so really trauma is a past wound that affects how we live in the present and how we perceive the future, right? And I think that's where the line is between something that hurts and something that's traumatic. Like I can stub my toe, but I will probably forget that I stubbed my toe by the end of the day. And I'm not walking around thinking, oh my gosh, I'm gonna stub my toe again. Um, And that doesn't mean you always have to be cognitively aware of your trauma, but your trauma is something that your body is reliving over and over and over again in the present, even though that moment of pain happened in the past. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that'll equip your team and strengthen hope. Hey there, my name is Laura and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. Today, we get the chance to talk with a good friend of mine, Kobe Campbell, about her brand new book. It's called Why Am I Like This? How to Break Cycles, Heal from Trauma and Restore Your Faith. How someone experiences an event is unique to them. I have heard so many times people make comments about how other people grieve, whether they didn't cry enough or, oh, they barely know that person. They're crying too much or reacting too much or, wow, they're getting back to work so quickly. (laughs) These judgments and observations are not only stop at grief, but they really are applied to anything traumatic. We say things like, oh, they're overreacting or they didn't get hurt that bad or I'm surprised they're over it so quickly. Trauma is personal, and as caregivers, we need to be careful not to be quick to judge, but rather quick to extend compassion and grace. More and more, I'm hearing people flippantly say things like, that was so traumatic, or, oh my goodness, I have PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And while I am thrilled that people have become more comfortable talking about their experiences and mental health, and there's a recognition that what someone experiences impacts their mental health and well-being, I don't want trauma to become minimalized. Trauma is real. It's super impactful. What I like to say is that trauma is sticky and can impact how we experience life and how we see the future. Our faith, too, is a lens that colors how we experience life and how we see the future. And I love how Kobe doesn't back away from exploring this intersection of trauma and faith and even theology, but she dives headfirst right in. Kobe is no stranger to this podcast. Actually, she was just on back in episode 13. And and in that episode, we talked about how uh, trauma-informed leadership can transform the church. And if you enjoyed this episode, you're going to want to go back and check out that episode 13 because it uh, in it, we talk about what scripture tells us about trauma and how sometimes a church leader's best intentions to support are actually messages of shame and how trauma-informed ministry can transform the church. It's a good one. And since that conversation, Kobe has written her first book, like I said, titled Why Am I Like This? Which at the time of this recording today is sitting at number one in pastoral counseling on Amazon. Way to go, Kobe. 
And not only is Kobe an author, but she's also a trauma therapist and founder of the Healing Circle Therapy and Wellness Center. In her new book, she brings together theological insights with therapeutic principles and helps readers begin their journey of restoration. It is fantastic. I'm so excited and honored to be a part of helping you launch this book out into the world. I am very excited to have you connect on the podcast. Thank you, Kobe, for coming. Kobe, I am so grateful that you have joined us and I am so excited for you, friend, for launching your first book. I am so honored to be a part of of this first launch team. Thank you so much for having me. I love you. I love Hope Made Strong. So I'm just so excited to serve in this way. Oh my goodness. So uh, for those who don't know, we, uh, Kobe and I go back a few years. I think we both started this entrepreneurial um, mental health and faith thing around the same time. I think you were a year or two before me. And we've had a couple conversations. Kobe, you were back in the po- episode 13 and now um, this is episode 78. So it was a, wow. almost like over a year ago. It's been a while. Oh my goodness. Wow. It has been a long time. And I'm excited because you have just launched your first book. And can you tell us what inspired you to write this book right now? Yes. Well, um, my book, Why Am I Like This? How to Break Cycles, Heal from Trauma, and Restore Your Faith. Uh, The subtitle is The Why. Really, um, I found myself in some cycles of sadness and depression and loneliness, just struggling and felt like, okay, life is not worth living anymore. And had this incredibly miraculous moment with God where um, I had such a powerful experience and I became a Christian. And then life went back to like depression and anxiety. And everything I'd learned in faith up to that point completely opposed what I was experiencing. That when you become a believer, like all things are passed away. Behold, he's doing a new thing, you know. <laughs> new creation. And, oh my gosh, yes. And and <laughs> pressing forward to the mark, mark, forgetting what's behind. And nobody could explain to me yeah. why I truly gave my life to the Lord. I truly loved God. I truly was committed to um, him. And yet I was still experiencing depression. Hmm. No one could explain like that dichotomy to me. And I struggled to find a sense of home in in faith communities, to be quite honest, because it felt like it was the subject no one wanted to talk about. Everyone was just kind of like, well, if you prayed more, if you went to Bible study, if you didn't miss this service. And and the personal experience I had with God was so was the antithesis of everything I was being told in some of these faith circles. And so for me, I was like, yeah, I feel like I need to do some more investigating. And so I ended up going to therapy, um, seeing actually a Christian therapist, and it changed my life. I was like, wow, like God is bringing up these past memories because he wants to heal and redeem them and not because he's trying to remind me of how, what a terrible person I am. Like God is not mad at me for being anxious or depressed, but instead is a resource of safety in that anxiety and depression. And, you know, went on that journey, became a therapist. And then I realized how few people had the same resources I had. It's how many people could identify with where I started in my journey. And so this book is really a trauma 101 book for Christians to understand trauma through the lens of scripture, to gain resources, to break cycles and um, 
to reshape their perspective of faith in a way that includes a God who cares about their mental health instead of one who judges them, judges them for it. Mm. It's so good. I know I grew up in an area era where it was, if anything was going wrong in your life, you weren't in the will of God. You oh must gosh. not have submitted something or you're yeah. outside of the will of God. You're outside of his covering and always yeah. being so fearful yep. about walking in the will of God. There's only one will. There's only one way. And if I, if anything went wrong in my life, I must've been outside the will of God. Yep. Yep. As if like one wrong turn. Yeah created an entire life that was irredeemable and, and, and terrible and could not be fixed as if God is not the one who makes everything work out for our good, even the wrong turns, you know? And I think that's, that's kind of like an undertone of this book as well, is that like the mistakes and the heartbreak and the sadness and the, the trauma that I experienced, like God turned it for good. And this book is a manifestation of that. Mm. It's so good. And it's so needed. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Um, going into it, can you talk a little bit, um, because you take some risks, not only do you talk about trauma, but you also talk about imperative theology and what yeah. does the scripture say? And I think, uh, at least from my experience when talking with pastors, they, you know, what do I say about mental health? Where does it talk about it in the scriptures? And, and, you know, how can we, how can I bring a hope filled message to my congregation about, about mental health? And there's always this struggle of knowing what the word says and you do not shy away. You lean in hard and talk about it in this book. So can you share a little bit about yeah. kind of what you're seeing in scripture um, on trauma? Yeah. Well, the truth is there's truly nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. And I think that we are stepping into um, an era, a generation where we are learning that shepherding is a group project, mm-hmm. you know, that there are people, I mean, I know, I know dozens of therapists who are believers who could quickly tell you where trauma and anxiety and suicidal ideation show up in scripture. Um, we're just rarely given the space to share that with the body, you know, which is why organizations like yours are so important and imperative. Um, and so when you look at scripture, trauma is everywhere. The, the Bible starts with trauma. The Bible, the Bible starts with anxiety. The Bible starts with, yeah. with, um, relational ruptures, right? Um, and I think that we miss that the human experience that we have now is not something that's like specific to the time that we're in. The human experience is not specific to the year 2023. The human experience has been the human experience since humans have existed. And so there is anxiety, there is uh, depression, there is suicidal ideation. Right? We see that in leaders like Moses. We see that in leaders like Elijah. We see the fear. We see the way trauma ravages people's lives in so many ways. King David, right? Mm-hmm. We see him as a mighty warrior and a skilled musician and a wise leader. But we also see a man whose childhood trauma shows up in a way that affects his child, right? That's mm-hmm. generational trauma right there in scripture. Mm-hmm. And yet, Um, Many of us don't see it, not because we don't want to and not because we're not trying to, but just because we haven't gotten um, acquainted with the voices that God God has given the, the wisdom to share those information with us. Yeah. When people ask me what I see in the trauma in the Bible, I always talk about the woman who was um, accused of adultery. 
Yeah. And that she was pulled publicly out and, and mocked and was, you know, going to be killed for this or at yep. least imprisonment. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't condemn, but he yeah. just calm, lowers the temperature and was just like, okay, who here has yeah. not sinned in this room? Cast the first stone. And, and he doesn't um, condemn, but he restores yep. And he, and he brings comfort and compassion and empathy and, and doesn't, um, attack because this woman likely, if she's been in that situation has likely faced many, many traumas and, and he just, he just meets her where she is at without condemnation, but with hope. And it's, it's beautiful. Absolutely. And with Jesus's words to that woman, he establishes safety, Yes, which is at the core of all trauma recovery and trauma healing. And I think when we think about, you know, um, care organizations and care departments and churches, that's really what we're trying to establish. We're trying to establish safety. Mm-hmm. A church can't be a place where people are healed and restored until that organization is a place that people perceive as safe. Yeah. Right. And so Jesus establishes safety by saying, I am not like the people who want to condemn you. I am different. Right. Mm -hmm. And then when he gives her a hard word and says, like, hey, go turn away from the life you've been living, she can receive it because it's already been established that this is a safe person Mm -hmm. to receive rebuke from. This is a safe person Mm -hmm. to receive maybe a hard word or, or, um, you know, an imperative to change from. But sometimes we try to, like, skip steps and we try to tell people what to do and how to change without establishing first that we're safe and that we're on their side. Yeah. Establishing safety and that relationship, right? Building that connection first before you um, condemn, rebuke, or even give advice or direction in any way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So important. So important. And so you're connecting faith, trauma, theology all together. Can, is there, um, are you able to offer a principle, a sneak peek into what the book uh, shares? Oh my gosh. I think one of the principles I've been chewing on so much (laughs) lately, especially this week, is that we live in the stories that we tell ourselves. Mm. And the stories that we tell ourselves are based on the experiences that we've had. Mm. And we we see our world through our experiences. Uh We problem solve through our experiences. That is so good. Yep. Yep. And if we want to experience something different... Rather, if we want to believe something different, if we want to live in a different world, internal world, we have to experience something different. And sometimes that means we have to do something different, right? That at the core of healing is feeling safe, feeling empowered, getting wisdom so that we can do something different than we've done before, so that we can take courage so that we can take the relational risk of joining a small group, so that we can take even the internal risk of just raising our hands during worship, right? Saying, I'm going to do something different so I can experience something different, so I can have a different story to tell in my life. When I think about this, I think about the woman in John 4 who you know, talks to Jesus. I imagine her being a woman who went to the well by herself in the middle of the day, which wasn't customary to um, that culture, She talking to Jesus and opening up to Jesus is her doing something different, Mm. right? Her opening up to a stranger is her doing something different, right? Her asking a question is her doing something different. And that different affects her and then affects an entire city, right? Now the outcast is the person who's gathering people. There's like a grand reversal of her trauma 
because she dared to do something different. So what's your call to those who are questioning, um, who are feeling like they don't, they don't have the strength or they're scared or they're not sure um, what to do? How, how could we encourage them? So I'm thinking of the people who are listening are the leaders. So for us, Mm -hmm. we've all experienced struggles and suffering and trials. And so for us to do something different, we might have the capacity to dig deep and, and act on that. But those Mm -hmm. who are supporting might not be able to have the capacity or strength to do that. So how could we encourage others to, to, to walk that out? Yeah. I think that doing something different could look like putting down the responsibilities that we've picked up. Mm-hmm. That doing something different could be asking yourself the question, God, why don't I feel safe with you? God, how could I feel more safe with you? Right? That doing something different doesn't always have to be an external action, but can be an internal posture. Yeah. You know, if you feel a sense of shame um, because of something that you've did or something that's happened to you, you might pray when you usually don't pray. Or reach out to a friend when you usually keep to yourself or delegate when you usually do things on your own, right? And I think for leaders, um, trauma recovery is not something you can teach in a way that people will fully receive unless you're embodying it. It's, a, it's kind of like a smell, you can just tell. Like, how do you describe what a banana smells like? You don't know. So but like, true. if it smells like a banana, everyone in the room knows it smells like a banana, right? <laughs> because there's certain there's a certain reality that like, we have to be the first to jump. We have to be the first to lay down our our pretenses and, and adopt humility, not humility in the way of humiliation, not mm-hmm. humility in the way of uncovering ourselves, but humility in the way of saying, I'm doing this with you. Mm-hmm. I'm in this with you. And isn't that literally what the essence of Jesus coming to earth is? Is mm-hmm. him saying, I'm doing this with you. I've been through this too. I'm in this with you. And uh, that's the invitation for leaders is like for them to start healing their trauma more than they care about preaching about trauma healing more than they care about starting small groups or having speakers come in, like to really believe that doing the work as a leader will bear a fruit in the people that you're leading because of how it will change you and how you re- it will change how you relate to them. Um, and I think sometimes when things get buzzwordy, it's easy to be like, okay, let's bring in the experts. Let's bring in the mm-hmm. people to talk. And we can get all the information, but not actually metabolize it with our lives and I think the invitation for leaders to do something different is like, get go go to therapy, go into a space where you're not the expert. Mm. Let someone see you. Let someone else minister to you. That's good. That's good. It's a good call out too. I love that analogy or that um, you know connecting it to G- the life of Jesus that he came and did with. Yeah. He was perfect. He didn't have to. Mm-hmm. God didn't have yep. to do that. He was perfect in every way. Absolutely. But he chose to do it with because that is how we learn. That's how we connect. That's how we grow as we grow mm-hmm. alongside. Yeah. And as we as leaders, I think when people, um, we become much more relatable. What is that? People admire strength, but they relate to weakness. Yeah. Or uh, relate to suffering. And so it's it's it can be a powerful way to heal yourself, which we all could use, mm-hmm. and then as well as um, walk alongside others. That's good. Yeah. Um, 
in your approach, you talk about trauma. Would you be able to just give us um, just kind of a, because it is a bit of a buzzword, I want to uh, hear from you. How, what is trauma to you? How do you define trauma or how do you recognize trauma? Yeah, my favorite definition of trauma is trauma is simply a wound. The word trauma translates in Greek to wound. And so really trauma is a past wound that affects how we live in the present and how we perceive the future. Mm. Right. And I think that's where the line is between something that hurts and something that's traumatic. Like I can stub my toe, but I will probably forget that I stubbed my toe by the end of the day. And I'm not walking around thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to stub my toe again. Um, And that doesn't mean you always have to be cognitively aware of your trauma, but your trauma is something that your body is reliving over and over and over again in the present, even though that moment of pain happened in the past. Mm. Um, And a lot of us don't understand the way that God has made the body, right? I go through that a little bit when I talk about the nervous system. God created these systems. God created the systems that allow us to feel emotion. God created the systems that regulate emotions and help us feel safe or not feel safe. And so it's so important for us uh, to know that when we are talking about trauma, we're not talking just about the soul or the mind. We're talking about all of God's creation in humanity, which is the mind, the body, the spirit. Mm, That's good. It's good. It's you because the tra- trauma can be used as a buzzword. Oh, that was so traumatic, or mm-hmm. things like that. Um, do you find that the overuse or the more common language is breaking down stigma, or or is it um, causing misunderstanding, or or um, is it helpful, or is it hurtful? I don't know what to make of. That's a good question. Yeah, if it's <laughs> beneficial yeah. or not, it's definitely bringing awareness, but then maybe it's misaligned. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, someone else had asked me this question recently. And essentially I said, you know, when we talk about trauma, trauma and trauma healing requires a lot of trust Mm -hmm. because trauma is deeply personal and deeply contextual. Meaning from the outside, no one can say whether it's trauma or not. You know, I have a twin sister. Uh, my brother, my husband has a twin brother. And the things that may have been traumatic to me or my husband, our siblings may not even remember and vice versa, right? And so dealing with trauma requires that we believe people about their experiences. It requires that we trust that people are the experts of their experience. And I do think there is a wisdom in saying, in defining like trauma is a past moment that's being relived in the present that um, affects how we see the future. I think that helps people because you'll. I found that most of my clients will be like, actually, yeah, maybe that wasn't trauma. Right. Because that's not that that's not something that I that really affects how I live my everyday life. Um, But I think that we have to resist the temptation to think that we can be the authority on whether something is traumatic in someone else's life or not. And I think that lots of times we feel that if something did not affect us deeply, that it could not affect someone else deeply. And that's just simply not true. Mm. So when someone comes to you uh, seeking support and seeking help and saying, I went through a traumatic experience, regardless of their reaction or the response, whether it aligns with what you think was appropriate or not, Mm -hmm. regardless of whether you think that event um, was deemed traumatic or not, we still need to create that safe place and that trust to say, okay, let's talk about it. Let's, let's go there. um, And, and we can under, 
we can seek, look at it curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. I always try to encourage people to um, be curious about it rather than coming in as an authority or asking, you know, yes or no questions. Just be curious about their experience. And then through that, you'll be able to navigate, like you said, defining what trauma means. And maybe they'll, they'll be like, oh yeah, maybe not. But this truly might be traumatic for them. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to believe that they still deserve the safety, even if it wasn't traumatic, they still deserve safety. They still deserve compassion and kindness. Um, And, you know, we have to be careful about the desire to look for opportunities to withhold compassion from people because that's not how God treats us. Mm. So you, you were talking about um, people, the tendency to withhold compassion and I want to I want to sit on that for a minute and say, you know, why is it? Because I can look back and say, oh, I had compassion fatigue or vicarious trauma. Like I was I was burnt out mm-hmm. as a helper, and I was maybe not present with people. But I'm curious, withholding compassion from people, are, can you explain what that means a little bit more, or your your experience of that? Yeah, you know, I often find that people's go to, especially when they haven't experienced compassion and in a consistent way, and especially when um, people have only given them compassion at a high threshold, mm-hmm. like oh, like something really big had to happen before mm-hmm. they got that compassion and kindness. Um, I often find that people in the situations, including myself sometimes, so this is not other people, this is me sometimes as well, it's easy to dismiss someone else's um, pain because we feel like you're getting too easy of an access to something I had to truly suffer for, yeah. right? And so I think that we miss that, like, no one wins in the the pain Olympics. Yeah. No one wins. There's no first place. We all come in last. And it's so easy for us to want to look at someone else's pain and demean it for the sake of making our own pain seem more valid, for the sake mm-hmm. of making our own pain seem like it deserves more attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but Even internally. We, that You might not be vocalizing yeah. that in any oh, way. Yeah. This might be justifying internally. <laughs> yeah. And and the yeah. truth is, what if it hurts, it hurts. It hurts, it hurts. Oh my goodness. I just did a podcast a couple weeks back about compassion fatigue and Mm -hmm. talking about how it's an erosion of empathy and compassion for myself and others, but never considered it in that way. So I love that you brought that up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great definition. So for our listeners who are church leaders and who regularly connect with people who are suffering and struggling with, with trauma, how is, is your book or how can they use your book or is your book a tool that they could walk people through or refer? Like what is the best use of, um, this resource for them? Absolutely. Well, this is a book that anyone could just read on their own, but each chapter ends with reflection questions. And um, the beginning of the book is really about like what's going on internally, helping them get the resource and the language to understand their experience. And the second half of the book is about how we heal and how we are restored. And so the second half of the book has a lot of prompts. It has a lot of journaling activities. Um, It even has experiential activities with some Christian coping skills that I created that kind of marry um, 
spiritual disciplines with evidence-based calming strategies. And so this is, I literally wrote this with the church in mind. I wrote this with small groups in mind, with leadership meetings in mind, with let's stop and ask each other these questions and reflect, um, because I wanted this to be a resource that people could connect to other people with. Hmm. So, um, So who would be an ideal candidate for this book? Oh, an ideal candidate for this book would be anyone who resonates with the title. <laughs> why am I like this? That's literally why I wrote it because there's like I a, like oh my gosh, I ask myself that all the time. And I was like, that is, this is a question that will appeal to people. Yeah, who I know really is. Question, you know, and the truth is the reason why we're like this is because we're stuck in cycles is yeah. because we are dealing with trauma. It's because our faith seems to not work in the context in which we need it the most, right? We feel like, God, where are you? I'm depressed. Why does my faith all of a sudden feel so weak? And like, it's not contributing to my wellness. And so this book is really for any person who's a believer, whether they are um, new to the faith or they're seasoned in the faith. It's truly a different perspective than many of us are used to hearing. And so this book is really for every person who is stuck in patterns they want to change, is stuck in cycles they want to break but don't have the resources to do so, who has past experiences they know they need to address but don't know how to start doing so, who are wondering, how does God respond to me when I'm depressed? How does God respond to me when I'm anxious? How does God think of me and interact with me based on what I've experienced in the past? Um, So this book is for people who are ready for healing and are holding on to their faith and are trying to figure out how those two things work together. I love that. So often I hear of churches who are looking for resources that they could come alongside with, that they know they're not the expert. They know they're not professional counselors, but people are coming to them because they either can't access supports in their communities, their wait lists, or, you know, they don't have the funds or, or ability to, to, you know, drive or get to those, um, uh, professional services. So churches Mm. are desperately looking for, okay, what is a tool that I could walk with someone where I don't have to be the expert. I have to be the supporter. I have to be the cheerleader. I can listen. I can guide. I can, I can walk alongside. And I think this is a phenomenal resource for that. So thank you so much Kobe for, for creating that. And I am so excited for you. And, and I hope all the listeners are, um, go to the show notes and grab this book. Um, but Kobe, would you be able to share where they can get more connected to you and access, um, and order this book? Absolutely. So um, you can connect to me on social medias at Kobe Campbell. Oh, at Kobe Campbell underscore. Um, and then you can visit my website, www.kobecampbell.com backslash book to find all the million places you can order the book. <laughs> Target, Books a Million, Walmart, Barnes and Noble, all the places you can, Amazon, of course, you can grab it everywhere. And You know, I would just invite you to grab it for yourself and grab it for someone you know who's struggling. The powerful thing about books is people get information without having to be vulnerable when they're not ready. And so maybe there's someone you know is asking some hard questions. Maybe there's someone you know who's going through a hard time. Grab them this book. 
read it and ask what they think. Invite them into a safe and compassionate connection around healing, you know, start a small group with it. So um, yeah, I'm just so excited about this book. Grateful to get it into as many hands as possible um, to see as many hearts and, and relationships and generations restored as possible. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kobe. And all the best. Happy launch week. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for listening. If this episode resonates with you or you support those who are on a journey and asking questions like, why do I keep making the mis- same mistakes? Or why do I... Why am I like this? Or why do I feel this way? Then definitely you're going to want to check out Kobe's book. And you can grab that from the show notes at hopemadestrong.org slash episode 78. Thanks again. And I hope you have a fantastic week.